Lord, uh, we're grateful for your word to us. Um, even when it's hard and kind of scary like what we're reading this morning, uh, Lord, we know that you have uh, purpose in what you're doing. And so, Father, as we look to your word this morning, as we study it, we pray that we would see your redemptive purposes. We would see what it is that you have in mind for us. And uh, so, Lord, would you be with us? Holy Spirit, illumine this page. We, we can't understand this without you. It, it is, the word is spiritually appraised, and that means your spirit must help us to understand. So be with us now, we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. So we're at the last portion of the last set of the plagues. Remember, the plagues come in groups of three, and we're in the last two of the group of nine, and then the tenth is the Passover. Um, so it's following the sam similar format, um, except what I mentioned last week is this final set of plagues, the narrative is a bit longer. There's more detail in this. It's as if there's the crescendo. It, it rises to this crescendo. So as we look to the, uh, the last two plagues, I think it's really important for us to remember where we're at in the book of Exodus at this point. Um, you remember my outline for Exodus is God delivers us, God rules us, God with us. And so we're in the deliverance portion. Um, the judgments at this point are so heavy and so dark, if I can use that word, that we can kind of get lost in remembering this is for our deliverance. And, and that's going to be important as we go through this section um, to make sure we understand what the, the, uh, the point of all of this is. It's not just judgment. It is judgment, but it's also deliverance. The two have to go together. Um, so let's take a look at this first one. Um, the story is rather long, and I just read it, so I think it's hopefully pretty fresh in our, our memory. So what I want to do is just kind of sum up some of the ideas that are in there and draw them out a little bit. It'll kind of take us through the narrative, but um, there's a couple of points that, that um, I want to bring out. So one of the first things is um, God tells Moses uh, that he's going to do this. He's going to bring this hardness on him that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I did among them. So this is that first little tip that we get that God is doing these things with the intention of these being reported throughout the generations. This is something that is, is intended to be reported, and it's not just um, how harshly I dealt with the Egyptians, it's that, but it's what signs I did among them too. So there's the harsh reality of the judgment, but there's also signs in the middle of this. And the point is that Moses is supposed to tell his sons and his grandsons at this point these stories. These will be what will be repeated throughout Israel's future. So Moses has sons right now, doesn't he? There's a promise in this, isn't there? Moses, you're going to have grandsons. There, there's a promise. There's a hope of a future. There's looking forward in time and telescoping it forward to see what will come next, what, what's going to be coming in the future. And so these stories are intended for Moses and for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, all the way down to us and for us to tell others. So that's the first little thing that you notice is, is he mentions your son and your grandson. It's a looking forward in history saying, this is what's going to happen. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to tell people. Um, I was just reading a, a, a portion of a book uh, by uh, Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar. And he points out in that how important story is in teaching in Israel, um, how, how Israel is intended to teach their theology to their next generation and the next generation is there to tell stories. 
So we hear it here. I'm doing these signs so that you can tell your offspring, so that you can tell your generations the story of the Exodus. And what's the point of that? Well, by telling a story, you will know that I am the Lord. So it, it's important for us to kind of, I don't think it's a, you know, the, the main point of this, but I think it's an interesting kind of sidestep on this is the telling of story is instructional. It is teaching. When we come to the next plague, or the last plague, the, the Passover, one of the things that God's going to tell Moses during the institution of the Passover is when your children ask, what does this mean? This is what you'll tell them. You tell them this story. And what Brueggemann brought out, I thought was very interesting, is he said, by telling it in the form of story, by repeating the story that you've been given, you can't invent theology in there. If you stick to the story that God has given you, you can't throw extra little details in because now you're departing from what he's given you, the story that he's given. So it tells you as much as God tells you, and it doesn't tell you what God doesn't tell you. So it's kind of an interesting way to do it. Now think about us. When we talk about sharing the gospel, what is sharing the gospel? Is it stating facts? This, this is a fact, and, and this is true, and that happens. It's telling a story, isn't it? There is a God who has existed from all time, and he sent his son to take on human nature and to live amongst us. He dwelt with us, and he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never had anything wrong, and yet he was crucified for our sins. And that's a story, isn't it? So in our sharing of the gospel, we're telling a story, and if we're faithful with the story, we won't invent little things to bring into it either. So that's what Moses is being told here is, Tell the story of the Exodus. There is a theology of the Exodus here. And by telling it in the way that I'm giving it to you, you'll make sure to communicate faithfully what I've, what I've told you. Uh, Bergman makes one other little point I wanted to bring out. It, it's, we tend to look at it as, I am dictating to you. But he said, it's also good for the person telling the story to tell the story and to not deviate and add little extra things in. It's instructive not just to the next generation, but to the current generation too. So we're all under God's story learning. So that's the, the way this begins to set up is this idea of tell this story of the Exodus so that they may know that I am the Lord. The, the purpose of the Exodus, the purpose of the story, the reason this has been written down for us is that we may know that he is the Lord. That, that's the purpose of it. So that's the picture we get immediately of Israel, is there's a future for you. And, and God speaks only of their future for the gen next generation and for the, the generation after that. But listen to what he has to say about the Egyptians. He says, I'll fill their houses and the houses of their servants of all the Egyptians such as, with locusts such as neither their fathers nor their grandfathers have seen from the day they came to the earth to today. Do you see what happens? And now all of a sudden God looks backwards for them. From the time they came on the earth until today, is there any mention of next? Any mention of a future for them? Pharaoh, Pharaoh's servants, you're done. I'm not going to pronounce any kind of hope in a future for you. I'm only looking backwards. We're only going to look back at the story that's been told of you up to this point, and then you're done. Now, if Egypt survives. It's not like he wipes Egypt off the face of the earth, but he's saying the end of your story has come, Pharaoh. This Pharaoh is done after this. This, this will be his end. That will be the end of it for him. So Pharaoh is being told basically 
this is the finish. And you remember last week when, um, when God said, now behold, now I'm going to put all my curses on you personally. This is kind of that next step in that I'm putting my curses on you personally. Now it's going to affect you physically. Something bad is going to happen. So um, when Pharaoh is trying to figure out how to navigate this, I'll release you, but I don't want to let you all go. He says, um, well, leave the women and children here and you go. He's, he's trying to separate out that future promise. Leave the women and children. You, you guys go. And then you have no hope of, of perpetuating this, this godly line, this, this Hebraic line, because the children and women will stay here. So he's trying to break that promise. He's trying to disrupt that. And of course, Moses isn't buying it. No way. That's not going to work. We'll come back to why he does that in just a minute. But I just want to point out, we're, we're looking at and we're talking about the future for Israel in this. And there is a future. There is a hope. So now Pharaoh and his servants have their hearts hardened. It's the first time it mentions that God hardened the hearts of the servants as well. Uh, before, he mentioned that he hardened Pharaoh's hearts. But no, this now comes on all of Pharaoh's household. Everybody involved with his is uh, leading there. And God asks Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? That, that humility is really the problem for Pharaoh. He, he thinks he's still par- sparring with God as an equal. He's still going to spar with Yahweh as an equal. And God says, how long until you humble yourself before me? If you remember my my definition of biblical humility, it is to see ourselves as God sees us and to see God as he really is. And that will bring us into humility. Pharaoh is refusing that. He will not see Yahweh as he really is. And he still thinks he's large and in charge. And he just isn't. But there's a number of places. There's three places in the Bible that says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What happens when God opposes you? Look at Pharaoh. When God opposes you, what's the future? What's, what's the, the downstream for you? It's gone. It's erased. So don't go in that direction. Let's, let's be humble. Let's learn that from Pharaoh. Is Pharaoh refuses to humble himself, and therefore God is opposing him. So that's the setup for the problem. The plague is locusts. Why locusts? Um, How does locusts play into this this future or not future, that kind of thing? Well, listen to what what will happen when these locusts come. They shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And what happens later is that they covered the whole face of the earth. It was darkened, and every plant was eaten. There was nothing green left in Egypt. So when this plague comes, it devours everything. What's left for for Pharaoh's next generation? Nothing. It's all gone. It's been eaten down to the nub. In 1919, in New South Wales, Australia, there was a plague of locusts came in. And the pictures were amazing. It, everything was just re- eaten down right to the nub. There was nothing left. And according to the Bible, this is even worse than that. This was even more of a, a devastating plague. And then did you notice God mentioned the hail in there? The hail was the curse last week, and it fell in the field, and it destroyed all the plants. And then Moses threw this little thing in. Yeah, but the the wheat hadn't come up yet. Well, guess what? The wheat came up, and what happened to it? A plague of locusts took it away. Any trees that may have survived, the locusts took it away. So the plague itself is picturing, Pharaoh, there is no future for you. There is nothing for you in the future. The Lord has taken it all away. They're gone. Locusts also throughout the Bible are pictured as God's judgment. Um, there's, uh, it happens in Amos 7, but I think the clearest one 
And the one that really ties into this is from uh, Joel chapter 1. Right at the beginning of Joel, he says this. And this is announced to Israel because they're being unfaithful, but I think it applies to Egypt in this case as well. Listen, hear this, you elders. Give ear all the inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and the children of another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust is eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust is eaten. It's that same picture, generations, tell the generations, show the generations, and the locust comes in as God's judgment and wipes everything out. So that's the first, that's the, the, um, the eighth plague is the locusts. And it has to do with what will be left for them, what, what will come after them. The ninth plague is darkness. And just like the previous ones, there's no dialogue with Pharaoh. There's no, hey, Pharaoh, do this or do this or don't do that. Nothing. Simply it happens. The, the darkness comes and God tells Moses, stretch out to your hands towards heaven that there may dar be darkness over all the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. What does that mean, a darkness to be felt? Um, well, some of the commentators said, well, this takes place in March. How do you infer that? Well, if you assume that this happens right before the Passover, that would be around March. And in March, in, um, in Egypt, in that area, there's a wind that's, that's called the 40. I don't remember the, the um, um, Egyptian word for it, but it's 40 days of these high winds. And so they said, well, it's this wind that comes in and it kicks up all this dust and this dust then fills the land and it chokes out the sun and you can't see anything. So you could feel it because it's all this dust suspended in the air. Any mention of dust? Did we hear dust at all in there? No, it was just darkness. And, and it wasn't darkness that was choking them because it would not just be felt. You wouldn't be able to breathe in that kind of a setting. So I don't think that's really the answer for it, though it sounds good. Also, just as an aside, we don't have any idea how long the plagues took, do we? There's no time hacks. The only one we got was when the, between the very first plagues that said there were seven days where the blood was still in the Nile. Other than that, there could be months between these. We don't have any idea. Moses didn't tell us. Remember back to um, Hebrew pedagogy? If it ain't there, don't make it up. <laughs> what God didn't tell us is the time frame, so don't, let's not throw that in there. We don't know when this was. This could have been months before the Passover, or weeks, or days before. We, we're not sure. So what happens then? This is darkness. This is supernatural darkness. And it, it is a darkness that can be felt. It is such a deep darkness that you, it, it's almost tangible, it's almost physical. But I think it might also be a play on words because how do you navigate in that kind of darkness? By touch. Put your hands out and hope you don't run into anything. So it's a darkness that, that you can touch. That's how, that's how bad it is. And the darkness falls over everywhere except where the Israelites dwell. Now, one thing I think you need to pay attention to is it doesn't say except the land of Goshen. It says, except where the Israelites were. Um, so it's, it's, it's literally a dark darkness. And it's everywhere except for around the Israelites. They can see. So the Egyptians now are in this position where they couldn't see each other. They had no idea what was going on, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. It was too dark even to go outside. You, you couldn't move. Um, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. 
So Moses calls, uh, or God, uh, Pharaoh calls Moses and he goes, says, go, serve the Lord. Uh, your little ones may go also. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. Why does he offer this? I think at this point, Pharaoh's waffling. His last one was the best bet he had. Do you remember the, the, what he said? Is He said, the men can go. Well, in ancient Near East, that was who did the worship. They were priests. They didn't have priestesses so much. The priest would go and do these things. So it was the men who would go out and worship. So he's like, okay, you want to go do that? Then you, you take the men and go. That's all you're asking. I'm complying. So when that didn't work, what's he left with? I don't know, man. You can't take the, the sheep. He's, he's lost. He's, he's out of cards to play. He's waffling. And so, of course, Moses says, no, we can't do that. What did I just tell you? In the last plague, I said, we have to go have a feast. How are we going to have a feast if we don't bring our flocks with us? And so uh, is that a contradiction? Is he changing the tune of feast or is it a sacrifice? Or is it service to the Lord? All of them. What it looked like when they made sacrifices, we talk sometimes about whole burnt offerings where you take everything of the animal and throw it on the fire and burn it up. That wasn't every single offering. More, often, more of the offerings than not were you would take a portion and you'd put it on the, the fire and you would burn it up. And then the rest you would boil and then you would have a feast. You would sit down and eat it in the presence of the Lord. So it's all saying the same thing. Moses is rolling those all together. And you can't, whatever it is, you can't do it without the livestock. You got to have that. That's what's got to happen. So this is just isn't going to work. So they had darkness for three days and then that's it. So what's going on with these? Remember how I did the last ones? I did the first one in one sermon and then the second two in the next sermon and then kind of grouped them all together. Um, what I want to do is kind of group all of them together. We're going to try to do all nine. So buckle up. We've got a lot to cover here. So first of all, what's up with darkness? Why is darkness the, uh, the curse? Well, how did the section end? You shall not see my face again. The day you see my face, you shall die. And, and Moses says, you're right. I won't see your face. It, what's involved here is the face of Moses. They're not going to meet face to face anymore. So what is the darkness picturing? What is it talking about? Well, think about broader history. What light did Israel have that none of the other nations had? What, what source of light did they have? They had the word. According to, to Romans 3.1, what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were given God's light. They were given God's word. And they were able to speak that. That came through Israel. It didn't come through other people. It came through Israel. So I think that's what's being pictured here is this darkness that falls on, on uh, Egypt is saying the Jews will have the light, but the rest of the people won't. Psalm 119, 105, we should have sung it. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp. So I think what they're getting at, I think what Moses is picturing in this last one is there is illumination. There is an, a, a, a sight that the Israelites will be given that will be denied to others. So if you want light, you come to Israel. And notice, like I said, it isn't the land of Goshen. It isn't this broad general group of people. It is specifically the Israelites, where they lived. They will have the light. So biblically, I just have to say, biblically, light pictures a number of things. It's not always God's word. Um, Jesus is the light of the world. We are, a, we are a, a, like a lamp uh, on a lampstand in a house. So it's not just the word. But I think in this context it is, 
because the next thing that, that, the thing that happens at the end is you will not see my face. What happened with Moses' face? Well, we're not there yet. This is uh, much further into the book, but we'll give you a little sneak ahead. Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So one of the things that happens when God speaks, he speaks with Moses, his word. Moses comes down with the tablets, the Ten Commandments, and Moses comes off the mountain and he brings the word of the Lord to Israel. And his face is shining. His face is glowing. Paul will pick up that, that illustration of Moses' face shining and then putting a veil over it when he says, when the law is read, the Jews have a veil over their face. Moses is veiled to them because they can't understand what it's supposed to mean. That's the illustration he brings up. So that's why I'm saying this darkness is really picturing the word of God. It's picturing that which has been given exclusively to Israel to light their way and that which is now denied from Egypt. So I think if we start weaving them back together and putting them together, we'll get a, a better handle on, on how all this fits together. So if you think I did a bit of a stretch there, just hang with me one more little bit. Um, I, I hope I'm not. I hope I'm being fair with the word. So let's back up and grab all three of these uh, last three plagues together. We'll start at the end. Darkness. God's word has been given to Israel. And what does it say on, on the plague of locusts? You will tell this story to your children. So God's word is given to Israel. Israel is intended to tell that story to others. They're intended to, to tell the children, to tell, retell these tales over and over again. And then under the, the curse of the hail, what happened was God said, um, bring your, everything in from the field. And if you don't bring it in from the field, it'll die. And what Moses said there was, those who feared the word of the Lord did that. So the word of the Lord, I think, is the theme that's going on in these, these last three plagues. Those who feared the word of the Lord brought in their crops and they were spared. And you remember what the hail represented? God's wrath. So God sends his word to Israel. He tells Israel to tell other people and those who will listen will be spared the wrath of God. Sound familiar? Go therefore, make disciples, you'll be my witnesses. It's a similar thing that we've been told. Go and share the word so that people may flee the wrath that is to come. So now let's back up to the previous three, boils, livestock, and swarms. The boils, do you remember what that was about? The, it said in there that the priests couldn't withstand Moses. The, the wise men of Egypt could not withstand Moses. And what I said that they represented is they stood there as a representative, as priests and as wise men of demonic forces because the Bible tells us they were worshiping demons. The pagans are worshiping demons. And so these priests standing there representing these demons cannot stand before Moses. The representatives can't stand before God's representative. And then you look back into uh, Colossians and what it says is, yeah, you know what? The actual demons cannot stand before the actual God. They can't stand before Jesus. He has led them away as captive host. 
They have been defeated. So what God is accomplishing is he's, his word is going forward, calling people to flee. Don't put your trust in whatever power that structure that you had. Now, in the old days, they all worshiped some sort of God, but we're so much more sophisticated now, and we don't do those kind of things, right? We put our hope in much more tangible things like our own political power or our money or our good looks or, you know what? The same thing. Whatever that is, Jesus has defeated that. That has been broken. So then the next step, now what? Well, where do we go with that? Well, the next one back, the fifth plague was livestock. And the livestock in that case, it was again, it wasn't just the livestock in the land of Goshen were spared. It was only the livestock of Israel that were spared. And what I said there was, remember what they were going to supposed to take out in the, into the um, wilderness and, and to offer as a sacrifice? That livestock, that livestock only of Israel was spared so that the sacrifice could be made. And what that pictures is, there is one redeemer. There is one acceptable sacrifice, and that acceptable sacrifice will only come from Israel. Egypt can't offer it. Assyria can't offer it. Only Israel can offer that offering. And that offering is what, de what uh, defeats those demonic forces, those things that stand against. And then the previous one, plague four, is the swarms. Now, in your Bible, it says swarms of flies, but the word flies isn't in there. It's just the swarms. And that word for swarm is also used later in, um, in Exodus when they leave Egypt. It's not just Israel. It's a swarm. It's mixed multitude. That's what the swarm is, is. The word swarm there is the mixed multitude. It's the Israelites. It's anybody else who happened to be around there. It might even include some Egyptians that go with them. It's a mixed multitude. So this one sacrifice will come from Israel, but it will redeem a mixed multitude. It will lead a group of people from various tribes, tongues, and nations out of captivity. It will lead them away. That swarm, that, that mixed multitude, that's what's going to happen. So now let's go to the, la the first three. The first three, it, it said, was flying things. Um, the, the word for it was little flying things. That's, that's what it was in Hebrew. And one of the things that was said about the little flying things was that Moses struck the dust and the dust became these little flying things. We'll call them gnats because little flying things is too long to say. So it turned into these gnats, and these gnats got everywhere. They were all over the place. But what it said was it, Moses had struck the dust of the earth. And that wasn't just any old term to be used. He could have said the, the dust of Egypt, but he said the dust of the earth. And that harkens back to Abraham's promise. Abraham was told, your offspring will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Jacob, when he's at the, the, uh, um, asleep with his head on a rock and there's a ladder over him and he has this dream of angels ascending and descending, he's told, your offspring will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. So why is God doing this with this swarm, with this mixed multitude? Why would he redeem them only from Israel? Because that's what he promised Abraham he would do. Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that's exactly what he's picturing here in, the, in these plagues is the, the flying things will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Abraham, what will be saved in you will not be a tiny little portion, but a swarm, a group of people, numerous people. They will be mixed multitude from all tribes and tongues. They will be redeemed by the sacrifice that can only be made in Israel. And that will defeat all the other gods. They're done. So that's the picture that's being painted there. Um, the one before that is, chap or is uh, uh, plague two is the frogs. 
And what was up with the frogs? Um, I said on that one, the frogs was the one that I felt like we had to know a little bit of Egyptian theology for. Uh, the frog was a representation in Egypt of fertility and became associated with a frog-headed goddess, became associated with childbirth, and by the time of the Exodus had become associated with the later stages of childbirth. So it was kind of a, a, a picture of the midwife. Well, what was the last time we heard about midwives? Pharaoh said, hey, midwives, if you see a baby boy in the Hebrews, snap their neck. We want him dead. What that pictured was is in the middle of that, a redeemer comes. Moses is born. But the midwives refuse to participate. They said, we can't do it. The, the Hebrew women are so strong that they just have babies before we get there. They're just able to pop those babies right out. They don't need a midwife. What I think that's picturing is this is God's triumph over that political power. He was trying to play politics to kill the Israelites. And they wouldn't buy it. They, weren't, they would not follow his leadership. And so God sent these frogs to remind him, yeah, you know what? Fertility is my game, not yours. I will make my people as numerous as I decide to. You will not stop it. And then the first plague was the blood. The river Nile is turned into a, a river of blood. So what's going on with that? Well, this was also where they were told to, um, to throw the Hebrew children into. They were said, throw them into the Nile. And so in an interesting form of obedience, Moses' mom did just that, except she put him in a little ark first and then threw him into the Nile. And so in the midst of all of this, this opposition to God's purpose in his people, remember Pharaoh was upset because, hey, these Hebrews are multiplying and they're getting scary. So throw them in the river. And in the midst of that, in the midst of opposition to that, a deliverer is born. And the deliverer sails down the river. And now that instrument of execution is judged itself. It's turned into a river of blood. That was the judgment that fell on there. And from that comes the deliverer for Egypt, or for uh, Israel. And then the, the very first instance where Moses went in and spoke with uh, Pharaoh, it was a sign. It wasn't called a plague, it was a sign. And so Moses goes in and he takes his staff and he throws it on the ground and it turned into a serpent. And then the magicians come and they go, well, we can do that. And they throw their sticks on the ground and it turns into serpents. And then Moses, Aaron's staff went and swallowed them up. I, I can't imagine what that looked like swallowing up these other snakes, but it swallowed them up. And you remember the story behind that was the serpent was the symbol of Pharaoh's authority. He had a rearing cobra on his headset. His crown was a rearing cobra. It was his sign of authority. In Moses walking in there and throwing a staff on the ground and having it turn into a snake, it would be like walking into the Oval Office and throwing something on the ground and have it turn into a bald eagle. It was a symbol of authority. And the lesson that we learned from that was the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. So what was pictured in that was there are multiple, numerous kingdoms on this earth, and God is sovereign over all of them. They will eventually be rolled into the kingdom of God. They will come in subserviently into the kingdom of God. So that's the picture of our deliverance that we get from Exodus. Doesn't that sound familiar? It sounds like a gospel presentation to me. The word from Israel, the, um, the, the descendants that will come after, go and tell others. Uh, uh, listen to the message that's been given so you can flee the coming wrath. 
demonic forces are broken. Strongholds and powers and principalities are destroyed. There's redemption only through the sacrifice that Israel can offer. There will be a mixed multitude. Every tribe, tongue, and kindred will be gathered in. When the full number of the Gentiles is brought in, then the kingdom will come. It just goes on and on. It just sounds so much so New Testament, like God had a purpose in doing this. So what we said was, it isn't just judgment, but it's deliverance. So that's the deliverance portion. What's the judgment? What is, what's pictured in the judgments that come on them? Darkness. You can't see. Without the light, we will never come to a full understanding of who God is. God has to reveal himself for us to understand. We can grasp and we can reach and we can try. That's what Paul says in, in Acts chapter 17. These, these nations were set up and raised and boundaries established and timelines so that they may seek God and perhaps reach for him. But God does something extraordinary. He comes into time and makes himself known. So where Egypt, in opposition, in blatant disregard of what God has to say, they are lost. They are in darkness. They have no idea what's going on because God has spoken and they refuse to go to it. So the judgment on them is, then you remain in darkness. If you refuse the message that I've given, then you remain in darkness. The locusts come. And what does, this, what does Egypt have to hope in? What can they put their promise in? Everything is taken away from it. It's stripped down to the nub throughout the entire land. There's no mention of an offspring. There's no mention of the next dynasty or the next dynasty or the next dynasty. It's going to end. The hail. You have been warned. Come in from the fields. And if you don't, God's wrath falls from heaven in large stones and fire and thunder, and it's terrifying. But you have been extended that, and if you won't flee from it, then you will endure it. The boils, any power that you trusted in, all of those things that you put your hope in, they have been broken. Now where's your hope? The magicians can't stand before Moses. They have nothing to stand there and face him with. The livestock, there is no other acceptable offering. You can't come to God and go, but look at my good works. I've been such a nice person. You can't come to God and go, but look at how much money I made. You can't come to God and look how I sacrificed for, for uh, the, the environment or any of those other things. You, there's no other sacrifice that is acceptable except the sacrifice in Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace alone. And if you refuse the grace, then there's no hope. The swarms. Pharaoh's secure territory was permeated, wasn't it? Those swarms came in and it didn't, didn't care where the border of Egypt was. So think, for example, of North Korea. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs has got a, a film out right now about um, a, Korean, a North Korean um, person who was persecuted. North Korea is trying really hard to keep the gospel out. Can they keep the gospel out? It, it's, it, there is no security. Security is an illusion. So Kim Jong-un may think he's got it nailed, but really, when God decides it's time, it's time, and it's going to happen. The, 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 the swarms will penetrate his, his, uh, his secure territory. The flying things. God's kingdom um, will, will spread. It will go into all the places that Pharaoh has said it wouldn't happen because God has raised up a multitude of people. So he, he will go into those places. He will live everywhere. The, the frogs. Political authority will fail. 
it ultimately will fail. Why did Pharaoh have the authority to tell the midwives kill? Because he was the Pharaoh. How's Pharaoh doing these days? Not so good. That political authority eventually is broken. And then the blood, the source of the political strength, the economy, the, the, the military, all that, that the Nile pictures will be turned to blood. It will be utterly useless. And so don't forget the sign of the staff. Your kingdom will be taken from you. So in those two, we have deliverance and we have judgment. And that's what sits before us. That's what, that's what the book of Exodus opens up before us. We're not done. We've got to get to the Passover. The Passover is even more clear. It, it sums all of these things up. Some of the things that were said in, in um, the plague of locusts are anticipating the Passover, looking forward to it. An east wind blows, a west wind blows. The locusts are cast into the Red Sea. It says that not one was left. That's the same thing that happens with Pharaoh when they go in. So this is already beginning to anticipate. Moses is already beginning to prime us for the Passover because that is the pinnacle. That's the crown of all of the, the curses that come upon them. And it is the ultimate sign of our deliverance. We'll see when we get there. In the meantime, tell this to your children. Tell this to the people who are to come that they may know that Yahweh is God. That's why he did these things. And, and what 1 Corinthians 10 says is these were written down for our instruction. These were written down for us. The plague of locusts was pictured for us to tell us that it's coming, that we can hear this message, that we can see it. It is in the scriptures preserved by Israel. They're uncommon. There is no other ancient manuscript so well preserved as what the Hebrews did with their scriptures. These things were written down for your instruction, for the ages that were to come. So don't miss the opportunity. The, the call has been issued. Flee from the wrath to come. The hail is inbound. Flee. And if you won't fear the word of the Lord, then you'll endure it yourself because the sacrifice won't be applied to you. It's chilling, but there's hope in it as well because the number to be saved will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. So we have hope in the middle of this too. But don't let this pass you by. Hear the warning. Heed the warning and flee for help. Let's pray. Lord, it's hard to say thank you for the plagues. They were pretty terrible. They fell on Egypt with a mighty, mighty blow. But Lord, they're just a small picture of what is to come when your wrath is revealed from heaven. And so Lord, we pray that you would issue that call that many would come to hear the truth, that they can flee the wrath that is coming and would come in from the storm. So Lord, would you accomplish great things in the Antelope Valley? Lord, would you draw many more people to yourself? Bring, in, bring them into, as you said, uh, as Jesus taught, bring them into the barn. The, the, the field is white unto harvest. Lord, would you send out harvesters to bring that, that crop in and store it safely in the barns? And Lord, I pray that uh, as we prepare for the Passover, as we prepare for the last, the greatest, the most devastating of the plagues, Lord, that we would be seeing and finding Christ in all of these things. And we ask in his name. Amen.